0: everybody to Mission in Focus this week. We are very privileged to have Scott Guyot with us. Scott's known to many of you but may not be known to all of you and if he's not, that's fine because Scott's going to tell us a little bit of his story today. Uh, he's going to share with us what his role is in the United Church which is very integrally involved in the mission and, um, and then he's just going to Say whatever else she wants to say, basically. So, Scott, I'm going to hand over to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, let's welcome you.
1: He's um, on my bucket list to get a standing ovation, so would you mind just. Uh, 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 so, so, thank you. Um, and as Simon so said, I'm going to share a little bit of my own story, and in particular, as it relates to what I do, and then tell you a little bit about what I do. I'm going to dazzle you with some theory on the world according to Scott, and we'll see kind of how we go with that. Um, but by way of introduction, let me first say that I'm a husband of one. Um, I read that somewhere in the New Testament. If you want to be a leader in the church, you have to be a husband of at least one wife.
2: Um, three kids.
1: Um, I am a middle-aged white man, which means I do wear lycra and ride a bicycle. Um, that goes with the territory. Um, I you know, I do other things. I sometimes describe myself as a professional wanderer. And I'll talk a little bit, not wanderer, although that could have some benefits, but wanderer. I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, A few years ago, uh, actually, let me go a little bit further back. So I grew up in the western suburbs of Brisbane and hung out at Centenary United Church. Some of you might know that church. And I grew up there as a teenager and then into my kind of young adult post-school years. And on Sunday evenings, we used to hang out at the house of a family, a couple uh, who were Lynn and Gary Wallace. Uh, and it was after church on the Sunday night, so naturally the group became called Overtime. So we'd go to church on Sunday night and we'd go back to Linda Gary's place and we'd eat the cheese and sit in the lounge room and we'd do all sorts of crazy things. But mostly what we were doing was exploring faith, exploring discipleship in a place that was incredibly safe for young adults to kind of be and to ponder and to wonder and to wrestle with the questions of faith. Like what does it mean to be a Christian in today's world? What is the Bible? What is it? Something like what some of you are doing here, but in a lounge room or somewhere. As we did that, we came to kind of this realisation that what Gary and Lynn did in their lounge room with us as young adults actually wasn't rocket science. It really was just holding open a safe space, practising hospitality, and then letting us kind of wrestle with some things. And, and obviously they did a little bit of research and a little bit of work in behind the scenes, but the kind of core of it wasn't that complicated. So, of course, when we grew up a little bit further and moved on from that, we started to do this ourselves. And when I say we, mostly I'll be talking about Sherry and my wife. So, we found ourselves starting these kinds of gatherings kind of all over the place. Wherever we went, we would start these kinds of gatherings. Uh, we had one that met in uh, my parents' landroom for a while. We'd send them out to the movies or whatever. we have all sorts of people that would gather in our landroom that would be doing the same kinds of things. And as I look back on them now, I might say they were. Um, kind of discipleship communities or fresh expressions or maybe even home churches. But at that time, we didn't have any of that language. We were just kind of making it up as we went along and practising what we'd seen modelled in Lynn Gary's land over time. A few years after that, we ended up uh, in a little country town called Boona. Um, Everyone knows where Boona is, right? hour mm-hmm. south of Ipswich. And we went to Boona, as many people do, to be involved in outdoor education. There's heaps of school camps in the lakes and the mountains all around that area. And I was part of a Christian outdoor education company called Higher Ground. We ran camps for schools and we ran leadership development things and corporate programs and all sorts of things. But along the way, we tried to kind of be a community of disciples as we did that with our staff and our families. And we so we started to kind of play with, you know, how do we be a Christian community doing what we're doing? Uh, I went off and did a Forge mission internship while we were there. And in due course, we started this little, again, kind of home church thing, these are some of the people that were in it, um, because our staff often worked through the weekend, so we found it really hard to be involved in local churches. We had great relationships, but we just couldn't get there. So we started this kind of little community that eventually outgrew the organisation and kind of morphed into a genuine sort of home church or missional community. I want to say two or three things particularly about that. The first was that um, there are a couple of images that we used as we shaped the life of this little home church, this little community. The first was a notion that we had of rhythms, that we tried to live our life by some rhythms. And what we wanted to do was invite people to share those rhythms with us. So a couple of really simple examples. A bunch of us, as you can see, had little kids. When your family with little kids, often what you do is take them to the playground. So instead of just going whenever we felt like it, we all said, well, what if we all go on a Tuesday afternoon? So there'll be a whole bunch of the standing department on Tuesday afternoon. And this was one of our rhythms. Another group of us said, well, hey, we want to grow vegetables in our gardens for the health and you know what. So instead of us having veggie patches in six different houses around the community, why don't we just set up a community garden where we all come on Thursday afternoons and Saturday mornings and attend the garden. And so this was another of these rhythms. We had prayer times and we had kind of a Sunday afternoon kind of worship time, if you like, and these were our rhythms. And then we could invite people that we met to join these rhythms with us, as was appropriate for them. So we would invite some people to come and grow vegetables with us, or to come on a Friday night into the local cafe and do some work around justice and advocacy, or whatever the rhythms that we kind of established might be. We'd invite some people to join our rhythm of prayer and worship, and some would say yes, and some would say no, and that was okay. But this is how we shape that community, by identifying some rhythms. then trying to share them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The other thing we were conscious of is the old concentric circles notion that at the heart of this community was this praying worship and gathering on a Sunday afternoon. But then there were a whole bunch of other people who were further out into the life of Boona who were, we kind of felt we were part of our network, but weren't a part of that core kind of thing. So we were trying just to make opportunities for people to engage at whatever level was appropriate. It was a rich, wonderful kind of fantastic time in our life and we did that for quite a few years before we got then to the opportunity to move to Tasmania. Uh, it's my favourite photo of Tasmania. Um, the mountains okay as well. Um, so in Tasmania, I went down there to work with the Presbytery of the United Church, um, in a sense doing what we had done kind of naturally over the previous 10 years or so, and that is exploring what life on the edge of the church looks like. i to try and foster some new movement and mission kind of in the United Church in Tasmania. And we are there for four or five years, um, and so I was working as a presbytery minister, um, as a one of the team through working with local congregations and leadership teams. But at the same time, we continued this kind of endless habit of starting new little communities. And so we you know, find a bunch of people and start something new. And, you know, that might last two or three years, and then it would need to change, so we'd start something else. And so that's kind of been the habit or well, the pattern um, of a number of years. Five years ago, I came back to Brisbane, um, came to join the family at Tuwong United Church as our local church, um, and came to work here in the Office, In a sense, continuing to do the same things, to say to the United Church around Queensland, how do we as a church move into new spaces? How do we be missional communities in the twenty-first century? What does church actually need to look like now, as distinct to what it, it has become a habit for? <coughs> At Toowoomba, we got involved in lots of stuff there, and it's a great local church, and we had a really good time. Um, again, we couldn't help starting something new, so Simon was a blessing and permission and encouragement at the time. Simon was a minister there. Um, is, is he song? on there? Simon's so like in the back. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Oh, these tippy
2: toes. oh yep. <laughs> <laughs> is that him? Right, I think it is. I his face.
1: Uh, so we started another kind of a Sunday afternoon thing with families, again, exploring faith and discipleship, and it's noisy and messy and chaotic and all sorts of things. Um, but that, so, so over the kind of 10 years, our personal habits of exploring, experimenting and wondering have kind of morphed with my job, which is now helping, in a sense, our church to explore and experiment. And, wonder. and so when I say I'm a, something of a professional wonderer, that's what I mean, constantly wondering about. Where are we going as church? What are we looking for? Um, what does the future of our church look like? So my job is called Mission uh, Director of Mission Innovation. That's a new title as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, it'll be something else again in a few weeks, so don't worry, worry about, about that. that. Um, and basically what I do is get to wander around the state and hang out with people who are, who are trying to ask the same question: What are we doing? Where are we going? What do fresh expressions look like? What are new things we could do as church? How do we be in our communities Got to be interesting lines. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I could think of a better job than that to kind of get and go and have those conversations with people. So I find myself at presbytery meetings, uh, I find myself, you know, sitting with people that are church planters who are trying to start some new thing, trying to think through what that looks like, uh, sitting with churches who are, so a, a really good example would be the congregation of um, life works into a sort of inner suburban, long time you know church who looked around their neighborhood and went, we're in the wrong place all the people who are moving to Tuba are building houses on the edge and there's no church there there's no community there. so we're going to uproot from where we are sell our building move out to the edge build a new building and try and engage this new community so I get to hang out with people like that it's very exciting what I'm really interested in is mission and and the flip side of mission I think is discipleship um, and I've been really interested in kind of how to think about mission. So what I want to do um, for the next little bit of time is say a couple of things about mission. Um, I'm just going to give you a couple of definitions here, not because I want this to be a big kind of class on mission, but just so you know what I think of when I say the word mission. I've come to really appreciate this, these words from Mike Frost, who, if you haven't read, an Australian kind of missiologist, writer, speaker, provocateur, um, sometime prophet kind of guy. It talks about mission being the announcement and demonstration of the reign of God through Christ. Announcement and demonstration. Not just saying it, but religion. And our role as Christians then is to kind of join in that, to alert people to what's going on. Two scripture stories that, that always come to mind for me around what is mission are 1st Luke 10. So this is Jesus sending the 72 off into the world. Remember that story? And what does Jesus say But go as people of peace? Find people of peace. And if they welcome you, stay with them, live with them, you know, eat what they eat, hang out with them, call, kind of call out loud that the kingdom of God has come in you this place. If they don't welcome you, then move on. That's the kind of story. Um, there's a whole interesting thing in there about hospitality, which we might I might try and angle for an invitation invitation some other time and talk about hospitality. What does it mean to be guest rather than host? Um, which is where we often want to But another time. Uh, then there's Matthew 25, so the kind of sheep and the goat story. You know, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty. So, so that's the demonstration part of Frost's definition. That if we want to be and consider ourselves to be missional people, actually to be doing these things, It's got to actually be visible in our world and in our community. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's what I think about when I talk about mission. Now I'm going to tell you one story, and then I'm going to give you a really simple mission framework and see if it fits with this story. So this place uh, is a little church in a tiny, tiny little town called Lower Wilmot. Anyone know where Lower Wilmot is? Is it just beneath Upper Wilmot? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just, down <laughs> just down the hill. It's actually just Wilmot and Lower Wilmot. So this is in Tasmania, kind of in the northern hinterland, just inland from sort of halfway between Burnie burning and Devonport, if you know the top of Tasmania. So this rich kind of rolling hills, green, dairy, kind of lovely place and there's this little country church that's frequented by a small group of, you know, six, eight, ten, mostly, of people. the minister from a coastal town called Ulverston comes and hangs out here with them on of monthly or whatever it is in a few weeks. And he's a guy at the time of this story called Deva. Deva's from India. He actually was here in Mogul for a few years. I don't know if you ran into Deva while he was here. Um, clear candidate for the world's nicest man. He is incredible. He's not tall. He's quite um, short of stature, but friendly, smiley, lovely, warm. kind of. Anyway, he tells the story that he's standing in the church one Sunday morning and he's got his congregation of six to eight, kind of blue you know, ready to go. with his liberty. And he hears this racket outside. And so he goes to the door, that door just there, to kind of see what's going on. And he discovers that pull have pulled into the car park a bunch of bikers, not light is like me, but black leather, like a whole shebang. If it was me, I would have shut the doors, called the people to prayer, run the police. Say, <coughs> but he doesn't. He goes out into the into the car park and says to these guys, You know, we're about to start church. Would you like to come in? And they do. So they come inside. He tells a story. He's standing there at the front of in the pulpit and he's got his 6 to 8 kind of blue rinse on this side and he's got his black leather kind of crew on this side. And he's got this whole liturgy in his hand, and he's kind of going, well, this is not going to work. So he he literally throws it over his shoulder, and he prays, and they sing Amazing Grace because he thinks, surely everyone's heard Amazing Grace. And he reads something from the Bible, tells a little story, sends them on. The The next Sunday, they come back. And they come back. And eventually, they say to him, hey, Dave, uh, we've got a whole bunch of our mates who we can't convince them to come here with us, but they need to hear what you're telling us would you come to our clubhouse on the docks in East Devonport and hang out with our kind of <laughs> friends? And so was born this biker church in East Devonport because this little, friendly, smiley Indian minister heard the noise, went to investigate, and was kind of open and open. So that's the story of Lower Wilmore. And it kind of went on. For me. Um, so what i want to do now is just going to keep you in all the time, but I want to talk you through a really simple mission framework. When I say simple, I really mean simple. I am a simple kind of person. So this framework, as you can see, has four words. Know, notice, discern, act. And to justify the kind of huge expense that Trinity have gone to get me to speak today, I'll just expand on that briefly. <laughs> but that's really all there is to it. But if we were to talk about no, this is for me the sense that, that if our... Um, that if our mission doesn't start with a, a sense of knowing and being known by God, then it's not truly missionable. This is where mission and discipleship kind of intercept for me. Uh, and if we don't begin from that place of knowing what is God's heart for our world, for our neighbourhood, for our neighbour, maybe even for us, then it, it's not really truly able to be said to be mission. We ask as our neighbour. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Simon Kerry Holt, a Melbourne writer, he writes about the story and says, Our neighbour is the one we encounter. The one we encounter, that's that's all it is. And that's what happens in that story. Andrew Jutney talks about our neighbourhood being that part of the world to which we have access. So for some of us, our neighbourhood is very small, very local, very intimate. For others, like Steve Malcolmton, I think you probably met, you know, a global neighbourhood connected all over the world. But that's the sense of neighbour and neighbourhood. We can talk in this knowing about um, you know, Jesus standing up in the temple and looking forward and saying, this is what I'm on about. We can talk about that sheep and the goats kind of story about knowing God's heart for our world. and our neighborhood. If we miss this aspect of our kind of sense of mission or our mission framework, then our life and our action can be divorced in a sense from, from God, from the heart of God. If we get stuck here, we can become in a sense like being a bit of a spiritual product where it's all talk and contemplation and no action. This is kind of word according to Scott, so feel free to disagree. So for me, you know, that's, that's a kind of the first question, who is God? And for you, you know, as you come to understand God, particularly as you study, you know, how do you come to answer that question? And how does that then shape what kind of emerges for your mission? The second part of the quantum mission framework, as I like to think of it, is this question of noticing. What has gone up to in our neighbourhood is one way to put it. What are the needs? What are the opportunities? What are the successes we can celebrate with people? What are the failures we can grieve with people? How is the spirit of God moving? Do you anything like me? Uh, I'm guessing that at least some of the blokes in the room are. Um, we can get around the world with our eyes half closed um, and we don't notice things like. You can talk to Sherry about that anytime. Please don't. Um, I've actually come to wonder whether noticing is, in a sense, the most overlooked part of mission that it is. Um Some of us can be pretty self absorbed. We can be caught up in our own little world and not actually take the time to notice what's going on around us. There's a great example tucked away in Luke, I think it's chapter 13. You know, Jesus is preaching and there's a woman in the congregation, the gathering who's been sick for a really long time. It's like 18 years or something. I'm looking for a New Testament person. Oh, 12. 12 years. A long time. Uh, and I think, you know, for me, the sense of what goes on then is that Jesus notices her and he calls her out and he heals her. He, you know, and then the story descends into a whole Jesus be the Pharisees and a whole lot of stuff. But for me, the critical moment is Jesus noticing the woman who's there and and kind of you know getting involved in her story. Again, I want go back to Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. Can we feed someone who's hungry if we don't notice them? Can we visit someone who's sick if we don't notice that they're sick in the first place? It's noticing, I think, really matters. If we miss noticing, then our kind of action, our mission, if you like, is untargeted, it's a bit sort of skeleton. We get stuck here there's a danger, we can get stuck in the kind of bit of a depressive, all that's wrong in the world. So we can't only spend our time noticing we need to move on from there as well. Noticing is a big challenge. Then we come to the kind of question of wondering, wondering how we can join in, wondering what are the skills and gifts and time and resources we can deploy. Um, This is the question of discernment. Who are we? Who has got callings to be? How can we join in the things that when I think about scripture here, I think of the story of feeding of the 5,000. So the disciples kind of notice something's going on. But first of all, they come to Jesus and say, can you fix this, please? And Jesus kind of says, Why to them? what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Go and see what you can do. So they go and find, you know, the fish and the loaves. And then Jesus, of course, gets involved. But there's a sense in which the disciples are asked to kind of go and figure out what they can do, to figure out what they can bring what other people they can invite into the story. If we miss discerning, then our planning can be unrealistic. We burn out, fail, and everything can kind of fall apart. It can be a bit unrealistic. If we get stuck here, it's what in the outdoor education world we call analysis paralysis, where all we ever do is kind of go around and say, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? Going to do? At some point, we have to break out of that cycle into action. Me. so action is where of course we then bring those things to bear where we, knowing what we know about the heart of God noticing what we've noticed discerning what we have to offer we actually get in and get involved the most important thing I think about action is just thinking about a really simple action reflection kind of cycle we plan what we're going to do, we do it we think about did it work, how can we change it can we of go again um, if we miss acting if we miss the action part of this framework then of course we become just a theoretical Community that does anything. Um, we can grow a like, promise but don't deliver a reputation in our community. Uh, I think that's a danger. If all we do is act, then there's not that um, underpinning, you know, underneath it of how how do we know, how are we know hopefully knows, know, and so on. So that's the whole thing. Um, I wanted to say a couple of other quick things about it. the first thing um, is that this is not a despite the limitations of art and the way it looks like a sequential thing. It's not always entirely because as we notice things, then we actually learn more things about the, kind of, the heart of God. As we act, we notice more things. So we, we kind of bounce around between these things. For me, one of the values of a little simple framework like this is that it works for me personally and for my faith community as a collective. So as I sit on my bicycle on top of a mountain somewhere trying to catch my breath with my mates, Chatting about their world and their life and their marriages and all of those things, this can play out in my own mind as we sit there. You know, what, what do I know about God's heart for this man who denies God's existence? You know, what do I notice is going on in his life? What do I have to offer? What are the words I can say or the invitation I can give? So that, it can happen that quickly, but it can also happen in a really intentional way. As a congregation says, what's going on in our neighbourhood? What's God up to? Here? How do we <coughs> join in? Who are we and what do we have to offer? So that makes sense. It can be individual, but it can be collective. It can be short term, it can be really long term. It can be formal or really informal. Uh, Let me pause there. I've got a bunch of other stuff we could talk about, but that's kind of what I wanted to do was to just say a little bit about um, my own story and the work that I'm trying to do um, and a little bit about what underpins it. So what I'm interested in is um, at this moment, if there's any questions or comments, uh, you're welcome to disagree. Um, and say, that's terrible. That's no sense whatsoever. That's fine. I'll just go back to my office and have a little cry and stuff. Which guy? Which guy?
2: The guy who went to the club.
1: I'll put that in the story. David. Yes, yeah, so they, they, he would go off and meet with that kind of gang, that community um, and their families on a <coughs> Thursday night, I think it was, um, in an ongoing sense. And so he, they became a little faith community in and around that life. Um, I've lost track of the story now. David's. He's moved on elsewhere, but um, at the time that I knew the story, it was an ongoing. They started a church, basically, uh, for bikers, um, literally on the docks of East Devonport, which is otherwise a nice place. Yeah, um, yeah. So he he did he did mm-hmm. the business. He knew he noticed, he decided, Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate you hearing your experience with these
3: little communities and. House churches, you know, whatever it is, and <clears throat> I had a similar experience the past year and a half before I came here in Phoenix, where that same thing basically was was a church plant. We considered it, it was a traditional yeah. community. Yeah. And um, what I, I wonder, as you think about this, because you said you'd, you'd start some and then sometimes they kind of you'd make sense that they were ending. Mm-hmm. Youth so. yeah. Have you discerned a way to? One of the things that I realized when we were doing that was, what I love about this is that it's not bound by too much institutionalism, and there's a lot of flexibility and freedom, and it's really organic. But also, what scared me was, I would think of the beautiful places that marked my spiritual journey that were still standing, and I would go. I oh, was also longing for planting roots somewhere and, and seeing something continue. But actually when i left i was doing all of this frenetic work trying to keep the community together and it was an anglican community so it was like, the bishop do this this person should do this and i was like now it's gonna be way out of control um where it was just a group that really experienced the presence of our mind have you found any ways to um, keep those those networks to to be vital places that, that continue or, or have they always been more
1: um, uh, I think I think they can by their nature be temporary but for me the story of our burner community is perhaps an, an answer to that so when, what I did I didn't go into a lot of detail about that community but that core group grew and grew and grew and to the point where we couldn't fit in a lounge room anymore and then we were faced with this question of what are we going to do now you know we can't, this, our lounge room is bursting at the seams, we don't have enough space do we rent a, a community hall or do we you know, what do we do? So what we ended up deciding to do was to split into two land at the same time, but still one community. And that worked for a while and then, you know, people moved away from town and so the group shrank back and could, could join together. And that story has continued. But one of the things we've done with that particular community is that now every May long weekend, we go camping together up at with All the people who've been through that community and are now scattered all over the country, every May long weekend, we kind of gather in our tents and caravans up on the side of the Mary River in a sense, tell stories. So we don't have a building or a place that, that reminds us of that, but we have that network of people who we still gather together, even though we're now not in day-to-day contact with each other. So it's a different kind of way of kind of ex- expressing or holding on to something of that story and what its significance has been for us. I don't know if that's quite what you... know But that's been one of the ways we've tried to do that. It's been relational,
3: too, with suppose, yeah. the were part of that church yeah. where... Uh, the, the vital connection the Christian fellowship like
2: in the spirit of yeah.
3: else's friendship has yeah. continued That's right. and so it's almost like the, the essence of what was there still exists but it's person to person yeah. and it's, it's you know transcontinental now yeah. uh, maybe from, based on but it's it's like it's still wow this, that was so powerful that it's changed us so that we look at what church is different now but also to This has been really powerful,
2: so it's cool to hear that you've explained some the things. Yep, totally. Scott, how does say for example you are like a home group sort of organic starts and stuff, how does that work with risk assessments in terms of the children? So do you have to go and risk assess someone's house?
1: So in do that blue
2: cards the So in
1: in the Buddha story, we had no name, no money, no legal identity, no nothing. It was just a bunch of people meeting in my laundry. So if something had gone wrong, I guess my house insurance—you know—I might have lost my house or whatever. But we we weren't a an actual organisation in any legal sense of the word. There was no, there was nothing. It was just people. Um, Now, now I work for the United Church. I don't advocate that kind of you know kind of (laughs) fast and loose sort of approach. Um, But in the United Church, the the notion of the the regulations around a faith community gives some space for that to happen. So. A faith community can be constituted as a faith community with a very simple kind of framework, and it is then attached to or associated with a congregation okay. or a presbytery, depending on how it's coming to life. So, okay. for example, Bell's faith community, who yes, some of yes, you will yes, know of at Calounder, they're associated with the local congregation of It was a project of Calounder United church. So their kind of insurance cover and legal, you know, all of that stuff goes is through Calounder's church council. Um, Highfields in Toowoomba started as a faith community associated with the presbytery directly. And then over a period of time it grew and grew and became eventually recognised as a congregation. But it's kind of connectedness and it's kind of identity and child safe and all of those kind of regulatory things that we need to do, we're connected with the presbytery directly. So inside the United Church we have that kind of capacity to set up those sorts of systems. You know in hindsight when I think back to Buna, it was a, you know, potentially a bit of a dangerous thing that we were doing. Um, we knew everybody, you know, it was, it was this lovely, you know, and I look back on it with rose-coloured glasses, obviously, and I gloss over those sorts of things. But, you know, if, uh, one night, one of the kids, well, there was about four at the time, got out the front door and vanished into the night. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had this whole kind of panic, you know, searching all over town trying to find this kid. Um, but we had not done a risk assessment around the house, we had not put out of gates, we child safe and I thought uh, who in the room was safe to be with the kids so you know we really did I don't advocate that as a good way to go, you you go, ahead? go ahead? yeah we found it yeah. <laughs> no he's still wondering <laughs> 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 ended up in Devon board on the bike <laughs> <laughs> no we found. Uh, half an hour later at the playground on the swings um yeah so I don't advocate that but in the United Church we have that kind of mechanism to be able to system be system connected system. with a congregation or with a presbytery for that kind of care
2: yeah. Yeah. Is it time for that? No, I just a quick, oh. oh, sorry. Mm. Scott, uh, thank you for that. Which field of the mission like, is the best part in your past experiences? And also, uh, what might be a strategy or a tip to improve the mission in our own church? Mm.
1: Uh, good questions. You know, for me, the the, I mean, the Buddha thing, you know, obviously is a very powerful experience for us and so we, were, we grew to be connected with a whole lot of people right through the town because of that. Um, and some of them came to faith and some didn't, um, some of them came to, um, you know, think about their life as parents in different ways or to think about you know, the health of the broader kind of society in different ways because we were engaged with them. Um, you know, now I'm in a, a local congregation. You know, a long to we're constantly asking the same kinds of questions. What does it mean to Toowonga, this kind of Western sort of religion that we're here? What it, how does it matter? Why does that care that we're here? Um, and I would go back to that, that same, you know, that, that kind of framework, um, and say that for me actually, this this really is the mm-hmm. critical, that noticing that, and we can do that deliberately, we can set up system, we have a resource upstairs that's available to you in congregations called Stats Have Faces, that helps you Understand your community through a statistical kind of analysis, but then put faces on those statistics and meet people. But it can also happen, you know, as a vest, you sit in hairdressers you know, with a burger job or whatever, like and you notice what's going on. So for me, you know, the, I mean, I keep wanting to go back to that sense of being deliberately eyes open about what's going on. You know, I think that's where the things come. Is there one more? Or
2: um, I wanted to just say, with fresh, with fresh expressions, do some work in some communities and other ideas of different. So like say for example you've got a cafe a church in the Karana dance, The church yeah. really, really well. Yeah. Could that idea work somewhere else, or do you find that you need a different idea for a different neighborhood? Or can you sometimes yeah. use the same ideas? With? I think yes, I think yes
1: times? and no.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: So, so, you know, for example, Massey um, Church. You know, as an approach to kind of doing church with families and kids who don't know anything about church that emerged in a particular community in the UK, but because it's easily replicable and, it you know, the shape of, the broad shape of it can be repeated anywhere in the world. So now there's thousands of message churches all over the world. The specifics of what they're doing will differ based on who lives in this community, what are we good at, what are we particularly like. So the specifics of it will be different to that original one in the UK, but the broad kind of thing is the same. Um, so there are some approaches like that. That's one dinner church is another where there's an easily replicable kind of a model. Um, but the details will differ. One of them, I'll tell you this quick story to finish. I just ran into the story last week. Uh, I was up in Central Queensland for the Presbyterian and the minister from Yipoon, uh, Capricorn Coast, was telling the story. The church there is co-located with a United Care um, aged care residents. And they were sort of you've been wrestling with how do we engage people who are um, suffering with dementia or Parkinson's um, and particularly around memory. So they started doing a little bit of research and they came across, across this research that says one of the best things for helping people with memory is music. Mm -hmm. Guess what churches are it good at? Mm -hmm. Music. So they've started this thing called a memory cafe Mm -hmm. where people come and they play music and they sing songs together and they're singing kind of Christian and some non-Christian songs. And it's a fresh expression of church that's just been birthed out of this noticing, mm-hmm. thinking, discerning. What have we got to offer? Well, music. We're good at music. Um, that's a story that's grown up there, but could easily be repeated in other places mm-hmm. you know, if the right people are in, you know, noticing the right thing. So, but then there are other stories that you know. There's churches in Laundromats, and, you know, biker games in East <laughs> Devonport. You know, that are particular to the place. No, no. Fresh expressions. You can say yes and no. It you know, can be unique. But can you can start with a basic one and build from there. Okay. Yeah. Is that well,
0: enough? No? no okay. oh. <laughs> you would saying no, it's not enough. Hold
2: well, a few more minutes. I okay. are <laughs> well, you were chasing up.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that how um, mission can be long-term and short-term. And so I was to get your thoughts or you know, what your so experiences are, especially when, if, if you go into through uh, Presbyterians and Congregation, and highlight that a... Uh, a mission could be short-term, whether they would think, well, is it because there's a, there's a review process or is it a case of um, failure if it's a short-term
1: assessment? Yeah. Um, sometimes sometimes these kinds of ventures are short-term by their nature. So, for example, um, there's a, a story that comes out of the northern suburbs of Melbourne where a churches of Christ community were trying to spin off a whole new faith community. They decided to plant a new faith community or congregation every year. Like every year we're going to spin something up new. One of the ones that they kind of got going was a faith community that gathered around some young adults who met in a coffee shop on a Tuesday night. And it was fantastic. They had a great time. They did lots of really good stuff. But, you know, time passes. Those young adults all get married, move to each other, You know, they move out to the suburbs. All of a sudden, you know, that doesn't work anymore. So then they, instead of, of desperately trying to keep it going they just transformed it into a mm-hmm. Friday night thing in the suburbs in someone's house. Um, so there are some things that we do that by their nature will be short-term because the evolve. people Amen. and they can evolve um, but there are others you know that would will, that will be we're actually being there being present there for a long time really matters. So the work that St George United Church are doing in the middle of St George you yeah, know is an example. Of that. They're doing incredible work in their community welcoming young people, particularly Indigenous young people, provide right in safe spaces. And it actually matters that they're there physically for a long time, because it'll have a long-term impact on their community. It's not so great if they're pretty new to them and they close up for mm-hmm. So it's a, it, again, it's a bit of, sometimes long-term matters. Sometimes things just have a life. Yeah. Sometimes we try things that just don't work. And we need to be brave enough to say, I didn't quite work. Um, let's pause that before we figure out you know, do we change it again? Just do we read things? Do we not notice properly? We're not decide correctly?
3: Just that—that that got me thinking. Just one last thing. Um, one of the things I noticed that we were missing in Phoenix was the multi-generational. Uh, it was kind of like a homogeneous unit, sort yeah, yeah. of like yeah. eighteen to thirty-something, who all like the same yeah. kind of stuff, and yeah. all were angry at the nature. And so, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> and what oh, well. sense and all this stuff. Yeah. And, um, but it struck me that if there were
2: different clusters
3: of those things that all also recognized, hey, at some point in time, these different subgroups could come together yeah. and find their identity in the, the, the larger as well as the smaller, the micro as well as the macro, whatever. Um, before I left, that was one of the things we were exploring. How could we? have these unique expressions, but realize that what's happening here is, is necessary for us, but it may not help very much. Well. And are there ways that we could be better at coming together with other groups periodically to experience a greater picture of the kingdom, uh, while also realizing that we have a specific national call to specific justice issues and ways of worship so, so I don't know, I mean, that's just a comment, really. Yeah. As, as that model comes out, if, if it come
1: back home and then go back out, I think that would have been good for us. I think, you know, that story that I alluded to in Melbourne, the Churches of Christ stories, I tell the story all the time because it's a a good example, I think, of that. (coughs) Very quickly, the whole story is there were nine congregations, mostly aging, sort of on their last legs in in inner northern suburbs of Melbourne. They came together and said, we need to do something new here, or we're so what they said was we're going to merge these nine into one and then out of that we're going to plant a new congregation every year. Yeah. Four or five of the congregations said no, we don't want to be a part of this. So we're not in. Now all of those are now closed on the garden. The others joined and what they did was say a couple of really important things. We're going to all be gathered for worship on a Sunday morning. We're going to spin off a new congregation every year. Every one of those congregations that we spin off has just as significant a role in the life of this whole church as the Sunday morning. So Sunday morning is not the main game. It's one of. There's the Tuesday night coffee thing. There's the Wednesday afternoon group that feeds homeless people and does something afterwards. There's the families that gather around the youth group on Friday night. So they spun off about nine or ten of these things. They all understood that they were part of the whole, but each had their own unique kind of presence. Leadership for the whole was drawn from right across the network. So the council, if you like, was just as likely to have someone from the Tuesday night thing as from the Sunday morning. Um, and money and budgeting was done on a needs basis, not on where did the money come from. So if 70% of the money came from the summer morning crew, you know, we'll stamp our feet. we want 70% of the expenditure. That's not how it worked. They were one whole church in eight or nine different parts. Um, so I think that's a that's a slightly, yeah, kind of slightly different angle on the same thing. But they understood there will be particular communities within our life that be really very focused, but actually we want to work out how we can be one together. Powerful story. And when I ran into it, you know, again they were ten years down the track, and had planted ten new communities. Some had carried on, and some hadn't, um, but they were all still learning, still trying to work try out how do we do this. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Any other questions? I can mean, talk for hours. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 but we're looking at
2: lunch, There's lectures. Like uh, a okay, manager, should I talk to you lunch. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: <laughs> well, I just, I so I just yes.
2: want to know um how do we distinguish between a fresh expression of church and um, and something that say like the government a service of the church, <laughs> give thing. so um like, like with fresh expression are we also intentionally witnessing and when I say witnessing I don't mean really like you're going to you know more like oh you know gently introducing the gospel or talking about God like, are you, not you, but I mean, in Fresh Expression, do you intentionally still do that? Or is it more not just like a service that you're giving to people to
1: help them? So a Fresh Expression of Church, the definition goes along the lines of it is a form of church, a form of church, okay. for people right. for whom yes. existing ways of being church don't kind of make sense or connect. Okay. So it still has the marks of the church. It is a disciple in community, there's worship and prayer, okay. you know, and they, they're kind of at the heart of the community. Yeah. So, you know, when we offer a service, that may be an expression of mission but sure. the offering of that service is not in itself a fresh expression of church. So what will make the Memory Cafe in New a fresh expression
2: mm-hmm.
1: is if at the heart of it there is an intent to help people explore and express something in their spirituality, okay. relationship with God, yeah. growing their discipleship, okay. Now, that will be in a particular way because of the yeah, nature sure. of the people working with But you know, on a fresh expression of church, those are marks of the church at its core, ideally. You know, yeah, that's that's one of best. Any other questions?
0: Maybe one. <laughs> is there a danger then uh, in with fresh expressions of fragmenting the church? I mean, we talk about well, then, what the stats are, but in the States, it's I think hundreds, if not thousands, of new denominations every year. Um, is there a danger with this? Um, movement as well as the positive stuff of fragmenting the church further. Um, I've never been part of one of these communities, but I've known people in the, and sometimes they, from the outside look a bit clicky, yeah. like we, we've got church down, yeah. we're not part of a big institution but we've worked out what the New Testament church. You
1: know. So let me, can I answer that in two ways? Yeah, sure. One is that, that the, the Fresh Expressions movement actually is a denominational started in the, the Church of England in the UK and was quickly joined there by the Methodists and United Reformed and now the Church of Scotland so much and it's been started as a movement to, in a sense, refresh the church as we know it. So, so in, in, that, in that setting, in that context, all of these fresh expressions are a part of local churches or the denomination. So they are...
2: Sorry. Yeah, they're linked in some way.
1: Often they're funded by the denomination, or they're like they are actually a, an expression of the church in, in within the denomination. And kind of boundaries. Of Separate to that, there's been the kind of emerging missional church, the kind of Forge Frost and Hirsch kind of you know independent missional community kind of thing. And that I think is where there is a little bit of <coughs> danger, for like what you've expressed. Um, in, in our story in Boona, we were unaffiliated with any other kind of church, but we were really conscious of that. And so we did a couple of things to try and mitigate against that. Um, one was that we um, invited ourselves uh, for me to become a part of the local minister's return. So I would go and meet with the ministers once a month and be a part of that kind of network so that we were not some kind of, you know, off in the secret kind of doing something out of the side of the rest of the church, um, we would invite some. We had a couple of people who we invited to just check in with us every now and then. Who were ministers or other kind of leaders in other parts of the church who, who knew what we were doing, had no kind of structural relationship with us, but just were checking with us every now um, and then. we partnered with particular local churches to do particular things. So well, I can remember one night setting up an alt, an alt worship kind of thing in their local United Church, you know, in partnership with them. So we were really conscious of that, you know, like almost we could become a cult here or, you know, I'm going to have 27 wives and 63 kids and all <laughs> one, uh, can't handle a one in three, so why are we <laughs> um, But we were conscious of that danger. Um, I'm not sure that everybody is, so there is a bit of a, there's a, bit of a risk there in, in kind of unaffiliated, unattached sort of... And not
0: reality.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Fresh Expressions itself is not, is not in that space. It is. Mm-hmm kind of a project of the generations, if you a project of renewal for the, the churches that started the order. So, it has, it has a different relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, on mm-hmm. Saturday night, I spoke like, um, to all, you know, a New York Church Youth Group and we were doing this Q&A panel of four of us on the panel, and my 16-year-old daughter was hosting the panel. And I'm just reminded of this right now, because she said, halfway through the night, she looked at me and said, Dad, when you answer these questions, please remember the 16-year-olds use less words mm-hmm. and speak for a sure amount. <laughs> and here I am again just like,
2: Ooh.
1: <laughs> uh, I'll take Riley's advice and I'll shut up no, no, Scott, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's been
0: fabulous
2: yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, both to your own journey and also the um, I guess sort of a bit of a framework to hang things on which mm. has given us all something to, to think about and think about how we might apply that in our circumstance and situation whether it's in the church or outside of church so mm. thank you very much mm. um, and we'd just like to uh, to pray for your work. I'm like standing ovation. No, 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 All
2: I've got to do now is ride my
0: mountain bike around and rub Well, that bucket list. Okay, let's, start. let's pray. Father, we, we do thank you for Scott and, and um, the way that you've worked in his life, the, the way that you've call both he and Sherry to uh, to be your people and uh, to grow a family that knows you, to, to contribute to the lives of others and for the for various ways that they've, they've expressed that and done that over the years and for all that they've learned from that and the way that's being woven together now to, um, to help the wider church uh, think its way through uh, how do we uh, turn from an inward focus to an outward focus and actually Uh, Express your heart, your your care for the world um, that you love so much that you die for. So so we we just ask that you you bless Scott in the work that he's doing, give him wisdom as he um, engages in what's in some ways a a fun task but in other ways a really difficult task. Um, Guide him, lead him, bless him, uh, anoint him for that task and uh, keep him in your care.